1 Samuel today, tonight, and we'll talk tonight about a little bit more about uh, Samuel's mother, Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we find our reading, and we'll read the first 11 verses. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly, let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. And those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren have borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He, lifts, he brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. If you'll recall from our study last Wednesday night, we uh, learned how Hannah fulfilled her vow and took her son Samuel to Shiloh, to the tabernacle in Shiloh, and presented him there to the Lord to serve the Lord in uh, the tabernacle all the days of his life. In these verses, in these chapters, in these verses, we find uh, Hannah singing about, uh, about her experience and her... Uh, trust in God. She gives some observations about life and she proclaimed proudly, proudly her hope in service in, to, to God and, and her hope in God's faithfulness. Um, let's catch up here. Cliff Barrows was a gospel songwriter and singer with a wonderful voice uh, in the denominational world many years ago. You may have heard of him. Uh, He said that he would often make up a tune when he was reading through the Psalms just to uh, get through the Psalm. It helped him understand the Psalm, helped him understand the doctrine, the theology of the song. Psalms he said, have meant more to him because of that practice than what they would have otherwise. 
And what we see from Hannah's experience and from Hannah's song here, her joy here, is that singing has always been important to God's people. This prayer is given to us as a song, and it is evident that Hannah's song is the climax of family worship at Shiloh. Another interesting idea, the concept, and I think it's very important for, as we uh, lead singing to understand the amount of theology and doctrine that God's people have always put to music. The case before us, that of Hannah's song, is one example of such things. It contains many theological statements about God's character, about God's faithfulness, and about God's power. This is an ancient, tra 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 ancient tradition that has been passed down through the ages because we see it as early here and even further back in the people of Israel and in their work and their uh, travels and as God's people. Methodism, one of the largest denominations in the world, the Methodist Church, received most of its theology not from John Wesley, who was the theologian and the doctrinal leader and establishment of that denomination, but from its, his brother Charles Wesley, who put the theology... <sighs> <coughs> into words, into song. Theology plays a significant role in our singing. And that's why it's important as we pick out songs and lead songs to choose songs that have correct theology and correct doctrine and to be careful to the utmost of our ability. That is always uh, something that should be understood uh, even without saying to the utmost of our ability, we should be careful to pick out songs that are doctrinally and theologically correct. Now, in catching up and reviewing the history, Hannah had suffered the stigma of childishness for many, many years. She was able at last to take her son Samuel to the tabernacle as she had vowed, and she fulfilled her vow. And in, in doing so, she burst forth into this magnificent song. At least that's the way we understand it. Um, some critics and so-called scholars have said that a simple farmer's wife, as Hannah was to Elkanah, couldn't have had the ability to pen or to voice such a beautiful song. However, scholars have pointed out that these phrases, these ideas are used throughout all of the Old Testament uh, preaching and prayers and singing. So it's very likely that she was borrowing heavily from what she already was aware of. Now, in this song, Hannah speaks of universal judgment against the enemies of God and the exaltation of God's anointed. There are 10 lines in these verses, or 10 verses, if you will, which have strong messianic implication, uh, especially when we get down to verse 10. There's heavy messianic prophecy in this song. Hannah speaks of universal judgment against the enemies of God and the exaltation of God's anointed. Number two, her words are very similar to that which is found in Psalm 2. 
and Psalm 110. If you were to compare those psalms in the book of Psalms with what she's saying or prayed here, they're, they both consist of personal messianic prophecies that are realized in Jesus Christ. Uh, second, or thirdly, the Aramaic Targum, which is a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, it was written between the, in the 400 silent years between the Testaments. Renders verse 10 uh, and, and comments and says, and magnifies the kingdom of Messiah. So even the Jewish Targum, the uh, uh, ancient commentary on the Old Testament, uh, understood that this was a messianic prophecy. Some church fathers of uh, the New Testament church supported the view that this was prophetically messianic in character as well. Some of these slides we're going to be going through very quickly, while others will uh, take quite a bit of time to, to get through. <clears throat> I didn't mean to hit it twice. Verse 10. We've been talking about the prophecy that's there. She says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Here you go. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Since the Lord governs the world, we need to understand that. Jesus is not going to be king he is king now. Since God governs the world, the righteous have nothing to fear, in other words. The Lord keeps the feet of his saints so that they do not tremble. No fear, no uh, fear of adversity in the Christian life. But the wicked, those who persecute the righteous, perish in darkness, and they will be swallowed up eventually in their own adversity that they create. Hannah is confident of this, and she expresses this confidence in this verse. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And then she says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Verse 17, uh, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6 says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will bless you, verse 16, and I will bless her and give you a son by her, and then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Hannah's reference to the king indicates that the faithful in Israel had expectations of someday having a kingdom having a monarchy. God had promised Abraham in chapter 17 that kings would come from his loins. And in verse 16 in chapter 17, he says that I will give her, Sarai, uh, a son and will bless her and she will be the mother of nations and kings of peoples shall be from her. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 21. <clears throat> he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is his God with him, and the shout of a king is among them. 
Numbers 24, verse 7. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. I can't read these lines, these words, without getting goosebumps running up and down my spine because as I read them, I remember the story. This is Balaam, the prophet whose donkey spoke to him. Balaam was not a Jew. Balaam was a prophet for hire. He was a Gentile. And yet, God moved upon him and the Spirit of God moved upon him and caused him to utter these wonderful and grand prophecies. Balaam was predicting the rise of a royal personages here in Numbers. He shall pour waters from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 15. The Lord says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Moses, with a prophetic eye, understood that the people of Israel someday would live and work and worship under the reign of a monarchy. And so he, with divine inspiration, gave regulations to govern the rule of that kingdom at that time. The king in Hannah's song is not a particular king, though. Let's get that clear. But this king in Hannah's song is an ideal king. According to the, this view, this passage can only be messianic in prophecy, only in the sense that the royal line culminated in Christ. Hannah's prophecy concerns the exaltation and the final victory of the Messiah. Her prediction also embraces a principle that is, the principle is that God supports his anointed. Okay, let's back up and get the previous few verses here. Verses 1 through 3 in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1 through 3. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. There's a repetition of personal pronouns found in this passage if you read it carefully. Verse 2 is the confession of faith that instructs uh, an admonition in verse 3. It gives direction for verse 3, in other words. The warning appears on the surface. It appears to be directed at her uh, husband's other wife, Penaniah. But Penaniah may well have been part of God's plan because God's people flourish in adversity. I think rather we should look at verse 3 as a general warning against those who rely on themselves. You know, the self-sufficient boaster. Moving right on, verses 4 through 8. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. 
The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. Hannah is moving from the general to the specific. What God has done for Hannah is a simple example of his ways. She's saying, I was ready to fall, and God gave me strength. I was barren, and he made me fruitful. I was poor, and he made me rich. That's the God that we serve. That's the kind of character that he is. Verse 9 and 10. He will guard the feet of the saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, Hannah's horizons have broadened from herself. All the way from her experience to the way that God rules, this song covers. What we see here is the final result. Uh, the grand finale, if you will. Uh, the promised deliverance of a covenant people. This is a manifestation of the way that God rules and has promised to bring his kingdom. One of the single greatest things about this song or, or prayer is its comparison to that of Mary's song at uh, the announcement of um, her coming pregnancy with the Messiah as well as it can be also compared to Zechariah's song immediately after the birth of John, who was to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Several points of comparison here. And you may want to turn over to Luke chapter 1 and read those points at some time and compare them back to this song. In both First uh, Samuel as well as in Luke, we find several, three different things. What the books reveal, who the women were, and how they responded. The books of 1 Samuel and Luke both focus on the male child who was born to serve God. In 1 Samuel, the birth of Samuel is recorded, and the remainder of the book tells how God raised up three men to lead Israel, Samuel, Saul, and David. In the Gospel of Luke, the birth of Jesus is recorded, and all four gospel accounts tell how God raised Jesus up to serve him. Each one, each one of these gospels give a unique perspective of Jesus' life and work. Then we see who the women were. I forgot that. Who the women were. The roles of both Hannah and Mary in Scripture are limited in the descriptions of of their motherhood. Neither life presents a picture of the salvation of Israel, uh, of God saving people, of God's saving his people through Hannah like he did through Esther. They don't represent the leaders of the people. Neither Hannah nor Mary were leaders nor were they deliverers. Their job was to raise up their child to serve God. In doing so, each woman significantly participated in God's plan to deliver Israel. Two women, Mary and Hannah. Hannah can be understood as a type of 
Mary, a foreshadow or a whisper. God had promised that he would send a seed who would rescue mankind. Two miraculous conceptions. Hannah was unable to bear children because the Lord had closed her womb. Remember that from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Mary was a virgin, had never had intercourse with the men. There were two willing servants of God. Hannah asked the Lord for a child and made a vow for the child to become a servant to God and called herself a maidservant to God. Mary also proclaims herself to be a maidservant. Luke 1 verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Two gifts of revelation. Eli received a revelation from God given to them by a man of God. Each, I'm sorry, each woman received a revelation from God given to them by a man of God, an angel. In Hannah's case, uh, it wasn't necessarily an angel. It was with Mary, uh, but it was Eli. Eli said, uh, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you've asked of him. 1 Samuel 1, 17. In Mary's case, it was the angel Gabriel. Two promises to help them overcome fear. The message Eli gave to Hannah dispelled her sadness and her distress from the constant picking of Penaniah. The message the angel gave to Mary dispelled her fear at the concept that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. We see that two sons were born. God brought to pass what he had promised to both of them. Hannah gave birth to a boy child. She named her son Samuel, uh, which means God hears or, or God has heard. And when Mary gave birth, a child was born and a son was given. We read that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The birth of Jesus was the birth of Mary's child was Jesus entering into human form, the Son. Thus, the giving of the Son was God's divine plan of salvation for the entire world, just like the giving of Samuel was God's plan of salvation for the people of Israel in that time. The women responded faithfully. There were two faithful responses. Hannah and Mary both responded in surrender and obedience to God, trusting him implicitly and completely. There were two consecrations to God. Hannah pledged Samuel to serve God under the Nazarite vow all the days of his life. Now many people would take a Nazarite vow during the Old Testament times. We don't have records of them, of all of them. Very few, and Samuel is the only one that I know of that did it successfully, was under a Nazarite vow for his whole life. Samuel was vowed to be a Nazarite. Jesus was not. He was a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth. There's a big difference between a Nazarene and a Nazarite. There's no need for Mary to pledge Jesus to God's service because he was God's son. He was fully God himself and fully man. But Mary and Joseph did present their son to God. Both Hannah and Mary are linked in miraculous ways by the will of God. Listen to this. Both Hannah and Mary gave birth to sons who would become prophets to the nation of Israel. Both were illustrations of empty vessels prepared and used by God. 
Both are examples of the joy the Lord is, of the Lord that is found in surrendering to God's will. Hannah prayed her prayer, verses 1 through 10, or her song, when she gave Samuel to Eli the priest. Mary sang her song, which has become known as the Magnificent, when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and was greeted by Elizabeth and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt when Mary walked in. There's some similarities in their songs. We'll go over that very quickly and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Hannah was marked by sterility and shame. Mary was marked by virginity and purity. Hannah prayed for a son, desiring that her shame be removed. Mary did not seek a son, but was graced with this gift, and shame came upon her and her family. Hannah gave birth to the son of Elkanah. Mary gave birth to the son of the Most High. Hannah's son was first in the long line of prophets. Mary's son was a true and better prophet. In reality, both books, 1 Samuel and Luke, focus on these women's sons in a unique way. In 1 Samuel, the birth of Samuel is recorded, and the remainder of the book tells how God raised up men to lead Israel. That's our lesson for this evening.